Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Today we're in Revelation 14. This is our 13th day in Revelation and we're well on our way to, uh, we have just about another week left. So, but before we get into 14, let's just open with some prayer. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you're doing. And Father, I just need to lift up my heart now and just to say I'm very concerned about our nation. It just feels like with the whole Roe versus Wade, the whole pandemic we've gone through with all of the controls upon the people, it just seems very much as I read am reading this revelation, it just feels very much like that so many bad things are occurring in our nation. And so I just lift up our, our leadership. I just lift up our nation. And I just lift up our people, all of the, the people out there who are confused, who are scared. I just pray, Father, for your peace to be upon them. And I pray that you're, you would open eyes and hearts and minds, that you would speak to them and they would listen. I just pray that you would help us understand what steps to take, where to go, where to turn. This coming Sunday when there's going to be protests at churches and whatnot, I just pray that you would keep help us to be your light unto the world, not to allow our base instincts to, to uh, drive us, but that you would drive us. So, Father, I just pray for, for this time. I just pray for this nation. I pray for the people of this nation. And I pray that we would get back to you, that there would be an awakening and a, an understanding of what really is going on in the battle that's being, being waged. So, Father, I just pray as we read today that our hearts and our minds would be open to your, to your words, that you would be the one that we listen to, that we would seek your voice, seek your wisdom, and that we would do your will. I just pray that our spirits would be open and that we would hear and our spirits would connect deeply and closely with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're in verse uh, chapter 14. And so what I wanted to do is basically go through, um, just read real quick a little bit from MacArthur that will help set the table um, for our reading. So it, he says about um, in Revelation 14 that, it serves as a preview to the end of the tribulation. In this chapter, John shows his reader the triumph and vindication of the 144,000 faithful uh, Israelites who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. <clears throat> the fall of, ba of Babylon, which is symbolic of the sat satanic world system, is foreseen and the fate of its loyalists foretold. The chapter then gives us a summary glimpse of the battle of, M of Armageddon, the great and terrible wine press. Of the wrath of God. So there is, you know, there's going to be a reaping, and that reaping is really the battle that's going to go on. Some of the keys to the text is, um, is the song, there's, a, there, there's a relationship between the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. The song, song of Moses was a song of victory sung by the people of Israel immediately after the crossing from the Red Sea. The Song of the Lamb refers to Christ's sacrificial death and extols God's powerful works in creation as he providentially upholds the universe. These two songs celebrate two great redemptive events, deliverance of, of Israel by God from Egypt through Moses, 
and to deliverance of sinners by God from sin through Christ. Like one gigantic choir, the redeemed of the Lord will sing and rejoice over the accomplishment of God's entire redemptive work before Christ's return. So with that, just keeping that in mind as we start to read, as we read chapter 14, we're going to go ahead and start verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except for the hundred and forty-four thousand who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from, am- from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So they give it, they give, you know, God gives the people another chance to repent. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So he's, again, showing that this world system that y'all created, or that you're part of and worshiping, it's falling apart. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I looked, and and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he was seated on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take up your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes 
from the earth's vines, because its, gra its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of sixteen hundred stadia. And sixteen hundred stadia is about one hundred eighty miles. So you basically have the the angels warning man, and then you have the angels after that warning harvesting, i.e. killing the people in God's wrath, with God's wrath. So those who didn't heed their warning faced a very negative experience, to say the least. So if we then get into the actual reading of 14, chapter 14, with the help or the commentary provided by um, John MacArthur, let's go ahead and get started with that. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem, where, Mas where Messiah will return and plant his feet. Name, the counterpart to the mark of the beast. It is the stamp that will identify the 144,000 as belonging to God. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of, of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of, of harpists playing their harps. They sang, and it, was, it, was a, and it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. The new song it represents, this is the song of, the, of redemption, which is being sung by all the redeemed saints in one gigantic choir. They were rejoicing over the accomplishments of God's re entire redemptive work before Christ's return. These are the ones who were not defiled. Oh, okay, moving on to verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These, are, these were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. So not defiled with women. An illustration of God's ability to keep believers remarkably pure in the midst of great difficulty. This phrase indicates that the 144,000 Jewish evangelists will not, have, will not only have resisted the perverse system of Antichrist, but will also have resisted all temptations to illicit sects. Follow the Lamb. This indicates partisanship for Jesus. The victorious 144 are unwaveringly loyal to him, whatever the cost. First fruits, like the Old Testament first fruits offering, these men will be set apart for special service to God. Some see first fruits as the first large group of redeemed Israel, saved much earlier and representative more converts to follow. The first fruits of a redeemed Israel. Verse 5 And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they were without fault before the throne of God. No deceit. Um, the 144,000 speak God's truth accurately and precisely with no exaggeration or understatement, without fault, not sinless, but sanctified. I was wondering about that because it's like without fault are these, you know, how can you be perfect, right? Can you be without sin? Then isn't that Jesus? So then it's like, no, they had sin. They weren't sinless, but they were sanctified. 
Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting, everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So, midst of heaven, this is, the, this is from a Greek term, mid-heaven, denoting the point in the noonday sky, where the sun reaches its zenith. This is the highest and brightest point where all can see and hear. The everlasting gospel. The angel is preaching the good news concerning everlasting life and entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He is urging the people of the world to change their alliance from the beast to the lamb. It is also called the New Testament, in the New Testament, the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of peace, the glorious gospel, and the gospel of the kingdom. This is good news that God saves by the forgiveness of sin and opens his kingdom to all who will repent and believe. The whole world will hear this preaching by the angels as God graciously calls all to salvation. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Fear God. Not Satan, nor Antichrist. This is the theme of scripture, calling people who honor, glory, worship, and reverence God. Hour of his judgment has come. The last mo moment arrives to repent and believe before God's wrath is poured out. This is the book's first use of the word judgment, a term that has the same meaning as wrath. Him who made heaven and earth. Creation is the great proof of God, which preachers will appeal to as the ground for all people to believe in him and worship him. Verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is fallen. A lack of response to the angel's first message, or the, from the first angel's message, causes a second angel to pronounce this judgment. Babylon refers to the entire worldwide political, economic, and religious kingdom of Antichrist. The original city of Babylon was the birthplace of idolatry, where the res residents built the Tower of Babel, a monument to rebelliousness and false religion. Such idolatry was subsequently spread when God confounded humanity's language and scattered them around the world. Wine of the Wrath of Her Fornication this pictures Babylon causing the world to become intoxicated with her pleasures and enter an orgy of rebellion, hatred, and idolatry towards God. Fornication means spiritual prostitution to the Antichrist's false system. Gosh, the more you read this, just the more it's like, uh, it seems like the, we're so close to this now. <laughs> Anyways, verse 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Cup of his indignation. Anyone loyal to the Antichrist and his kingdom will suffer the outpouring of God's collected wrath, done with the full force of his divine anger and unmitigated vengeance. Divine wrath is not an impulsive outburst of anger aimed capriciously at people God does not like. It is the settled, steady, merciless, graceless, and compassionate, compassionless response of a righteous God against sin. 
Remember how many times he's, he's given the people a chance to repent. And they still don't. Fire and brimstone. These are two elements that are often associated in scripture with torment of divine punishment. Here the reference is hell, the lake of fire. Brimstone is a fiery sulfur. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship that beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark in his name. Torment ascends forever and ever. A reference to the eternality of hell. Torment is the ceaseless infliction of unbearable pain, here prescribed for all who are loyal to Satan's leader. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who died in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest in their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Son of Man, the imagery of the Lord on a cloud emphasizes magnificent majesty. Golden crown, the victor's crown, a laurel wreath was worn by those who celebrated victory in war or athletic competition. Christ now wears this particular crown, in this case made of gold, as a triumphant conqueror coming out of heaven to prevail over his enemies. A sickle, a harvesting tool with a razor-sharp curved steel or iron blade and a wooden handle, commonly used by ancient farmers to cut grain. It represents swift and devastating judgment. Verses 16, 17, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Oh, I'm sorry. So now it's like harvest of the earth. So I, not all f- four of those verses are together. Uh, the grain in this case, the ungod in this case, the ungodly people of the world is ready to be gathered up and judged. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a, sh- a sharp sickle. Temple. This refers to the heavenly dwelling place of God, not the tribulation temple in Jerusalem. Verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried out, cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So I keep thinking about God is so, and this book is written so, much that there's like clarity they don't want any confusion on hey so this this angel with the sharp sickle that angel with that sharp sickle i mean they really are redundant in making sure that you understand who's doing and what's happening here all right so another angel who had power over fire this angel is associated with fire on the altar which represents the prayers of the saints fire refers to the constantly burning fire on the brass altar of the jerusalem temple Twice daily, the priest would burn incense with that fire and offer the burning incense in the most holy place as a symbol of the people's prayers. This angel is coming from the heavenly altar to ensure that all the prayers of all the saints for judgment and the coming of the kingdom are answered. 
he calls for judgment to start. So the angel thrust the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Winepress, the vivid imagery, signifies a horrendous slaughter or bloodbath. Here it refers to the slaughter of all the enemies of God who are still alive. Facing the destruction at Armageddon, the final battle against God's enemies, staged on the plain of Esdraelon. The bloody imagery comes from the fresh juice of stomped grapes splattered, splattering and running down a trough from the upper vat to the lower vat of a stone wine press. Really is pretty much a picture of carnage, right? And the wine press was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the wine press up press up to the horse's bridles for one hundred and six for one thousand six hundred furlongs. Outside the city, God will determine that this bloodbath will occur outside Jerusalem, as if God wants to protect the city from the carnage all around. Jerusalem will be attacked, but will not be destroyed in the end, but, the, but spared for the glory of the kingdom. And the believing remnant will be saved as the Lord defends them and the city against the nations. They will escape through newly created, a newly created valley as the Lord finishes judgment and sets up his kingdom. Up to the horse's bridles. The severity of the slaughter is indi- indicated in the imagery of the blood of those killed in the battle of Armageddon. Splattering is high, about four feet, as the bridles of the horses involved. Equally likely, if the battle occurs near the central valley of Israel, the tremendous volume of blood and flow of blood could easily form troughs four feet deep in some places. 1,600 furlongs, furlongs, the approximate distance from Armageddon in the north of Palestine to Edom in the south. The great battle will wage... I'm sorry. The great battle will rage across that entire area and even slightly beyond. So that's it for chapter 14. Um, That battle is not going to be a good thing to be part of if you're not on the side of God. He gives the people lots of opportunities to repent, but they don't. Obviously, otherwise there wouldn't be a battle. So with that, I'm just going to close us with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. I just pray that you would continue to bless it, that it would be a blessing to you and to others, and that you would use it as you see fit. I just thank you and I praise you for this opportunity to talk to you and hear from you. And I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open and we would understand what you want us to understand, that our spirits would be connected and we would hear from you on a spiritual level and that we would connect and fellowship with you more closely each and every day. I just pray for our nation and the people of this world. It seems as we as we watch events unfolding that things are getting closer and closer. And I just pray that we would be mindful of that, that we live our lives accordingly. And I know people have said it from at you know the end of time or the beginning of time when Jesus was there and this book was written and this revelation was provided. People have said, "Oh, it's next it's tomorrow. It's happening now." And I just pray that we would have that urgency regardless if it's today or tomorrow or a hundred years from now. I just pray we would live as if you're coming tomorrow, that you're coming today, and that our lives would be blameless and that we'd bring you honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a wonderful day.